The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Whatever place you're in tonight, we're excited that you're here. We get to hear from a good friend of mine tonight. He's here to finish a two-week mini-series uh, that we started last week. Don't worry. I'm sure it'll be covered if you missed last week. But uh, if you are here tonight joining us, we are excited to hear from my friend. When I was on staff here seven years ago as the leadership coordinator, I used to invite Dave to come out to a lot of things. Actually, as soon as the students would start to not like me anymore, like get bored of me or start to check out, I'd be like, we hit that time of year. We need Dave. Dave's the guy. He's the guy that he'll come back. And people will all be like, oh, Mike, how come Dave doesn't speak every week? I'm like, dang it, I spoke all the other weeks. Um, anyways, please give it up. Dave Lutz, everybody. That's really fun. Oh, my gosh. If only that were true. Um, it is good to see you guys. There's a lot. No, you guys remember me from last week. This is going to be a train wreck. All right, here we go. Musicians, I apologize. Your order is now completely wrecked. Um, it's good to be here. My gosh, you guys doubled. Um, so it's great to see you. How many people were here last, last week? All right, good. So there's a lot of you that were not here last week. Um, and uh, so welcome. And my name is David. Just, I, just, I'm going to give you, because I don't want to bore the people who were here last week, just to give you a little bit. I grew up in this ministry. I went to college here. I graduated from the UW. And I went to the inn, and I went reluctantly. I went because someone kept pestering me. Andrew, Amber Murphy six times kept knocking on my door and I finally relented and I finally came and sat in the back. Didn't even, some of you back row sitters, I, I, I didn't even make it that far. I was over sitting on that table over there and I was just like, just don't talk to me. Just don't talk. I'm going to come. I'm going to go. Amber will stop bothering me. And of course you people all came and, and started talking to me and invited me to stuff. And then I I got involved, and then I met with Danny Ryberg, who was the director. And, and you know, it was that, it's that time where you just feel God's presence saying, listen, your life matters to me. And I know that some of you grew up going to church, and you've heard this a million times, and you're, you know, you've heard all the stories and stuff, but there's something about it. Some of you never went to church, like, the, like I had gone to church, but I didn't know anything. I went to a church where they never taught us much of anything. We kind of sat around, and there were some snacks that weren't all that great, and then I stopped going when I was about 15. I literally remember the conversation. I said, Dad, I don't want to go anymore. He says, why? And I go, because I don't like someone standing up there where I can't talk back. Like, I want to, I want to be able to have a dialogue with someone, so I'm sort of being hypocritical even right now. This is why I did not go, what I'm doing right now in this very moment. So, I, which is why when some of you will hear me say, I actually really invite, when I'm done here, I invite you to disagree with me. I love it. I actually love it when someone comes and says, Dave, that was too simplistic. Or Dave, I think there's something on us. That's fine. Iron sharpens iron. That's what this is about. I'm going to put out one part of this and then I'm expecting that you, because you're smart, you wouldn't be here if you weren't. And you're also, by the way, you're not a settler. You wouldn't be here if you were. You are the people that want to maximize life. You are making choices. You're not sitting back and just checking out. God loves that about you. 
Enter into a dialogue. Enter into a dialogue with each other. Dave said this thing. I want to say something that's going to really make some of you very, very mad at me. I did a retreat for the end back in the in 2000s. And I remember one thing that I think made people more mad at me than anything else. Loved it. It was great. But it got them thinking. And that's what I want. Hey, listen. All I'm trying to do with you is just read the Bible as best I can. Can we do that? But I don't like it when the Bible doesn't agree with what I got taught. Right? Actually, I kind of like that. It's kind of fun. All right, so we're going to do that. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for every single person in this room. You know that I do not believe anyone is here by accident. There are a room full of people who are keeping a divine appointment with you right now, even if they don't know it. And I know there are people right now who are thinking about a million other things. They've got relationships that they don't know how they're going to work out. They've got things going on with their home that they don't know what's going to happen. They've got things that they're excited about, new opportunities. They've got thoughts they have that they don't know if they can share with anybody. I pray because I believe that you've said this clearly, that it is not good for us to be alone in these things, that they will feel joined by you. I do pray that. Whatever they are holding right now that would keep them from that feeling, I pray that they can let it down, even just right now, even in their own minds, that they can visualize just letting down something that they're holding on so tightly to as an act of faith, that if they do nothing else tonight, if they learn nothing else, that there was 30 minutes where they set something down, trusting that you know them, that you love them, and that you are partnering with them in their lives. They don't have to do it by themselves. They don't have to be you. And then lastly, we just pray that you can comb out whatever gets said tonight because all we want really is your truth. And we know that in this stage, we don't get to know it completely. We can see through it like a mirror dimly, but we do our best because we have your word and we have each other. Not as people said, Amen. amen. All right, so... Last week we talked about this. We brought this, this idea of navigate. This idea of navigate, navigate, navigate. Now this is, for some of those, for some of you guys that know me, and some of you do, you know that this is a big thing that I am very passionate about. Now there's this idea that life is so full of situations, and you've seen people that chose not to navigate. They went with their emotions. They just decided, I'm gonna just send that text. I don't care if I've been drinking. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm just gonna do it. They just do it. Live with the consequences tomorrow. Then they're gonna do another thing because that another thing happened. It's just like they're living like one big chain reaction. You've seen, some of you have parents that are living like that. They go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, like a pinball. Bing, 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 bing. Why'd you do that? I don't know, because I got hit by that thing. There's something about the process as a disciple that Jesus, you see him over and over again, and we're going to look at one of these passages tonight, this idea of starting to teach people that they have a role to play in their lives. What do I do? I'm starting to like one person when I'm already dating another person. That's complicated. It happens. Just was talking with my stepson back there. TJ's back there right there. Thank you, TJ. Love talking to TJ on my way over here because he brings up these great, great ideas that I need to think further on. What do I do about my career? Should I 
go on the mission trip? Should I do this? Should I do that? What happens when I'm angry? What do I do when a guy see my name on someone else's social page? What do I do when I feel like someone's not reciprocating the feelings I have for them? Navigate, navigate, navigate. There's all these times that we're called to start navigating. And when we've not been taught that, it can just feel like we're just kind of doing what feels right. And then if you get in certain Christian circles, you'll hear this thing, well, I really feel like God's leading me to do this. Hmm, because it seems awfully destructive for a lot of people if you do that. Well, I know, but I still feel like God's saying, well, how do you know that? That is a very complicated question. This idea of how do I navigate is a passion that I have, that I see people who start doing it, and the fruit that starts coming from their lives is unarguable. Are you with me? All right. So last week, and I'm going to summarize this really quickly. We took, we looked at Hosea, this old, this one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And here is the two points. One, what God says is that I really care that you, before you start trying to chart your life out, and I'll partner with you. I'm not going to do it for you. Picture God up there just saying, I want people to be puppets. Like, that's bizarre. Does that make sense? Like, why would God want that? That would be so boring. I just want a world of puppets. That would be so awesome. Just to sit around and do this all day. Just go limp on me. That would be great. And then I can just start walking you like this. Over here, there's a woman I want you to meet. So just come on over here like that. And sorry, there's a job opportunity. Don't just let go. And I just will start steering you like that. I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. There's times when I'd like it to be like that. I'll just go limp. You steer me. That would be great, right? Hosea says, God's speaking through the prophet Hosea, and he says, here's what I want for you. I want you to know my heart, and my heart is at its core about mercy. And mercy isn't the exhaustive list. What it means is get the gist of this thing. Mercy means I'm kinder than you think I am. You are harder on yourself, my guess is, than God is. That's what he's saying. That thing you did, that thing that you regret, that thing that you wish you had done, that you hadn't, that you didn't do, I know. This is your first time through life, right? (laughs) We're all sort of, this is as old as you've ever been, right? (laughs) Right? You've never been older than this day today, right? You're all a novice at being as old as you are, are you not? Can you imagine God going, you were already supposed to know this. There was a prep course back when you were seven about being 22, and you missed it, right? This idea that God's going, you put this thing on me that is so harsh. Of course I wouldn't. And how do we know that? Jesus saying, if a good parent wouldn't do this, why would God? Of course you're novice. God says, I get that. See that little five-year-old draw on the wall and the parent just goes, well, that's it. (laughs) They're out. (laughs) They were supposed to know that, right? You feel so old, don't we? God going, you're 22. I'm infinite. Like, you're just a baby to me. I don't expect you not to draw on the wall every now and again. But let's work together so you don't keep drawing on the wall. Is that fair? That makes sense? Knowing God's heart. Second thing, the big question that everybody keeps getting asked is, what are you going to do when you graduate? Right? It's a stressful thing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Your aunt comes and says, what are you going to do when you graduate? And you're like, ah, I don't know. 
I'm going to have a heart attack. That's what I'm going to do because of your question. I'm going to have high blood pressure because of your question. That's what I'm going to do. The idea is that God is concerned with the who and the why more than the what and the where. God is concerned more with the who you are going to be and the why you're going to do what you're going to do than the where you do what you do or the what that you do. And that is, again, what I see over and over again when we're talking about disciples. I'm going to read a passage for you. And um, we'll take a look at this with my big print Bible, which is awesome. I was joking last week, some of you weren't here. It's like this whole train wreck of like learning how to use glasses. And All right, here we go. You guys ready? All right, Jesus is, this, Mark is one of my favorite gospels. It's the shortest gospel. You know that there's four gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are called the synoptic gospels because they're similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then John is sort of a different version of the same thing, the stories. And it's nice. What I love about the gospels and my own pet theory about why there are four is that it's, it's sort of like when you get different lenses. If everybody closes one eye, you can see, but everything's on a flat screen. When you open two, suddenly there's depth. Now you got four. And there's something about this that feels to me very graceful that God gives us sort of four lenses. And I used to do this challenge called the gospel challenge. I would take five guys when I was a college pastor and running a program much like this one. And I would take you guys through the summer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. For 12 weeks, we would read a gospel a week. And the thing that happened for that time changed my life. And I actually don't recommend you do that. It gets really uncomfortable. Just just listen to the little snippets of scripture you hear in sermons every now and again. That'll work a lot easier. What happens when you start reading entire gospels is Jesus starts coming alive and starts doing stuff that I actually wish he wouldn't do. There's this sense of perspective on Jesus where suddenly Jesus gets to be Lord rather than me being Lord over Jesus because I can tell you and parse together what this little tiny snippet of scripture means. Does that make sense? Gospel challenge. Mark is one of the, is the shortest gospel. A lot of people think it's actually maybe one of the earliest gospels. Mark, Jesus is beginning his ministry and he's starting to do more and more miracles and he's starting to do stuff. But then this really interesting thing happens that I think a lot of you are going to relate to. Jesus went out from where he was and came into his hometown. How many of you know what it's like to go back for Christmas break and you go back to the home that you came from and suddenly you have become 15 again? You know what it's like to go back in and suddenly you have rules that you have not had for a long time and you have that look from mom that still gets you. <laughs> and his disciples followed him. Verse two, when the Sabbath came, this is, this is where it gets interesting. He began to teach in the local synagogue. Now you can imagine this scene. And many of his listeners were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son of Mary, brother of James and, 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 and brother of James and, and, and uh, Joseph and Judah and Simon and, our, and, and not his sisters here with him? And they took offense at him. Because you can imagine this. You knew this kid growing up. He's the same one that kicked a soccer ball through your window. This is the same kid that you saw running around wiping his nose with one, you know, with, with his, you know, half naked body just going, you know, because he forgot pants. Jesus? That guy is doing miracles? What do you, what do you, that guy? He just did what? Psh. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown 
How many of you know what that's like? You come to a new place and you get to be someone new. You get to be who you are. Some of you know what it's like to come from a high school where you got put into a role that just didn't fit you. You were the smart one or you were the dumb one or you were the outcast or you were so popular but you weren't allowed to make mistakes. You were the thin one and so better watch what you eat. Some of you know what it's like to be put in a role or you're the athletic one or you're the perfect one or you're the golden child. Don't ever make a mistake. There's gilded cages that we all come from. Some of those roles that really, they scarred us. We come out of that and we get to come to a new place and guess what? No one can make you be in that role now. You get the chance to start over. It's a pretty amazing thing about the college years. It's not the only time. Sometimes even in the middle of college, you're going to be in a certain setting. There's a lot of people. My, my stepson, CJ, and I, we were just driving. We passed by the Greek system. And I remember my years in the Greek system. And I remember the role I had in my fraternity. And I remember my fourth year. I, I graduated in four and a half years. I remember my fourth year going, no more. This doesn't fit me anymore. I remember the pressure of telling my fraternity brothers, I'm leaving. I remember the subtle jokes, and we were good friends. I'm going to class, and I need to save two seats, one for Dave and one for Jesus. I remember, but I knew that role didn't fit me anymore. Some of you are going to go through that. Some of you are going to go through times where you've got the people around you that no longer fit who you are becoming. And that will be tough. And it's part of discipleship. You will see it over and over and over again. That the community you start with may not be the community you finish with. That's the tough thing about discipleship, but also one of the most exciting things. Does that make sense? And Jesus could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their disbelief. I love what this part about Jesus, where you see him just sit there and he, it, this literally drives him to the point where he will cry at times. How is it that the truth can be in front of these people and they can't hear? That's why you hear so many times when he starts his teaching and he'll say, for those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those of you who have eyes to see, let them see. He knows that he's going to be speaking to a group of people and they won't hear him or see him. It's like their hearts are hardened. It, it just kills him. And what's it like to go home? Some of you know what it's like to go home and you've got a family of people that think your faith, your Christian faith is crazy. What's it like to be near people when you, when you have truth and they can't hear it? It's a heartbreak that is unlike anything else. That's what Jesus is going through. It's his relatives looking at him like this. What are you doing, Jesus? Now this next part, and this is the one that I, I want us to see. And he summoned the 12, these 12 disciples, and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them, some of you heard this passage, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits and he instructed them that they should take nothing. This is key. Nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals, which was a mark of humility, 
Do not put on two tunics or two jackets, he said. Wherever you enter a house, and follow this, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that, this is key, any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people should repent. Now, in terms of navigating, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to make one point from here, and then I'm going to do the worst kind of preaching you'll ever hear, which is I'm going to give you four tools that I give folks in my work with people that have come from some of the sharpest. They come from really good conversations, but they're not exactly from here. So flush them down the toilet if they don't fit you. But I'm going to give I'm going to give, I'm going to give those to you anyway. Is that okay? Can I do that? Here's the main point. When I was going through, and it was even coming here, the thing that I was told, we talked about this a little bit last time, this idea that God, that we were taught that God has a wonderful what for your life? A little louder. Right. I looked at that and I was like, awesome. And I told you last week, I'm signing up. It's like life insurance. I want matching children and I can't wait for my beautiful wife and it'll be awesome in my house. Where is it? I'm just needed. I'm willing to go. I love it. It's just like this, this awesome thing the, the, on the front side, on the downside of it was this stress of, I hope you get it right because it's God's plan, right? Don't mess that up. If you take a left turn and actually it was a right turn, you could off end up in somewhere like, you know, wherever. And there you won't get married there. You don't have your matching children and you're God's just going, ah, I was flagging you to go right. I, t- I put people going right and you turn left. Now what am I going to do? The stress of putting so much power in you should be a doctor. God called me to be a doctor. Ah, but what if you aren't good at being a doctor? What if you start becoming someone that you don't like when you're a doctor? Yeah, God called me to be a doctor. This passage suggests that maybe Jesus doesn't work like that. Now listen, here's the thing, and this is what made people mad back in the 2000s, and, and, and so this is probably what's going to make you mad. Because God did call me to be a doctor, Dave. He called me to be a doctor. Don't tell me that God didn't call me to be a doctor. Okay, all right, okay, all right, God called you to be a doctor, but let's just take a look at the passage. Because here's what hap- What this passage should have been is, Jesus called the 12 and he says, hmm, Andrew, here's the thing. I've got this city, it's south of here, it's called Capernaum. Here's what I want you to do is, I want you to go there, and there's a couple that's ready to receive the gospel. Now, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I'm going to send you there, and I just want you to pray, and I'll lead you there. If you pray the right way, then you'll find them. I hope you find them, because that's my plan for you. That's how I want that passage to go, according to what I was taught. Instead, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I just go. I just want you to go do something. Go do something that's roughly in line with my heart. Because here's the thing, and I think this is his logic. I love all those people. And I love you. So if you go to people and do what gives you life, that's what I want. And here's the thing. You have a set of gifts in you. And I believe that. You're not like everybody else. Some of you know some of the gifts you have. Some of you are still discovering them. Some of you are going, I don't think I have any gifts. You do. I promise you. 
It's part of the best thing about this ministry is to help you discover them. That's why I would, when, when Mike says, go sign up to, in the back, do that, because that is a fantastic way to find your gifts. Go try something. I don't know if I've never done this before. Great, good, go do that. And then here's the thing. If it doesn't work, like you're being asked to be the mission coordinator accountant, which if that was me, we would never go anywhere because that just <laughs> wouldn't happen. If it doesn't fit you, Jesus says, don't sweat it too much. That's his thing. Knock the, just this idea of just don't get all hung up that this town didn't receive you. I just want you to just get up and just go. Does that make sense? Jesus is way more lighthearted about what you do with your life than oftentimes we are. So here's the bad news, according to this passage, that maybe God didn't call you to be a doctor. He says, you want to be a doctor? Awesome. It's hard. Sure you want to be a doctor? Because if you do, that's great. I need doctors. That'd be great. As long as when you go be a doctor, you don't become a jerk. Because jerks don't bear fruit. And I really want you to bear fruit. That's the thing that shows people me. Make sense? So if you can do it, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, laughter, intuition, creativity, because that list is not an exhaustive list. That's just you get the idea list. If you can do that and be a doctor, and you get in because it's hard, go be a doctor. Now that's kind of disheartening because I kind of like the feeling of being specially chosen to be a doctor. It feels good. The good news is you can let the weight of the world off your shoulders and feel free, Jesus says in this passage, to go try something because you don't know all the gifts you have yet. Some of those gifts are still being developed, so go try something. Go try the internship here. Go do that. Go try it. Find some of your gifts. Does that make sense? Now, some of you, this is where you're going to disagree. That's okay. Iron sharpens iron. Let's talk about it. If you want the technical terms, it's this idea of a specific calling or, or, or a general calling. Some of you are specific calling people. That's all right. Tell me how that goes for you. Tell me how that's working. And that's great. I love it. Some of you will say, okay, let it go. General calling. I want you to go bear fruit. And I made you special. I put things in you and I want you to use them. I get delight when I see my children using their gifts. Do you know your gifts? Go find them. Go get around people that can help you discover those things. That's the idea. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Okay. Thumbs up if you're with me. Are you still tracking? Yeah. Thumb down if you're tuned out and you're looking, listening to something completely different. That's great. Oh, we got everybody. That's great. Okay. Now I'm going to give you four things that I think we, we can, we can actually find this here. First one, if you want to navigate what I call tricky waters, there's this great book I read about Magellan where he's going around the South horn, where he's trying to figure out the passage to, you know, to get to, it's a crazy journey, but there's these places where these currents will kind of converge and there's rocks and you just, it's just a tough place to captain a ship. And if we're taking the paradigm and you don't have to, that God says, listen, I will partner with you. You don't have to do this all by yourself, but don't look to me to do it for you. We'll do it together. Here's one of the things that I would give you is decide. The first thing is follow your flight instruments. First one, follow your flight instruments. I have a buddy of mine. He's a hero of mine because he was one of the youngest paramedics in Seattle. 
And he's been, he's got pictures of himself climbing on roofs that are on fire and rescuing him. He's an amazing guy. And I said, Andre, I said, tell me your secret. You've been doing this a long time. I go, what's your secret? And he goes, I'll tell you this, Dave. He goes, so many, and he became a paramedic. Then he decided he wanted to become a paramedic helicopter pilot. So he went and did that. Awesome. Like that scares the tar out of me. I don't think I could do it. And he decided he's going to do it. And he says, listen, there are times in a helicopter where everything around you is going to be swirling and you're going to swear that you are flying straight up in the air. Your sense of what's up and what's down is going to get knocked around. You don't think it, you're taking it for granted right now that you have a really solid internal sense of where down is. Because you're not leaning way off to the left. I can tell all of you right now really are pretty confident that down is that way. Well, he's saying there's, when you're up in a helicopter and there's smoke all around you from a fire or there's a storm, that gets taken away. Imagine how scary that is. During that time, he said, young pilots will swear that they're flying straight up when their altimeter is, is telling them that they're level. And what they'll do is it drives them crazy. Over time, they're swearing because if you go straight up, your rotors can lose the ability to keep you up and fall backwards and you can die. And so they're literally feeling like they're in a life or death situation. So what they'll do is correct. And what they'll do is they'll drive their helicopter right into the ground because the alternator is right. Does that make sense? The idea is that you as a disciple of Jesus Christ to start to decide what are the principles that you follow even when you're under stress. I don't post on social media negative things about anyone ever. I never, ever do that. I don't care how much I want to. I don't care if it's been done to me. That's what I do. Maybe that's one of them. Because there's going to be times where maybe you're going to be tempted to do it and want to. What are your flight instruments to navigate tricky waters that during that stormy time, it's hard to know what, with all the emotions that are going through, what do you do? I don't lie. That's one of mine. I don't lie. I may not know all the answers, but I promise you, I will not look you in the eye and tell you something that's not true or know something that's pivotally true and not tell you. That's a flight instrument. I don't gossip. I want to sometimes, especially when that person's really hurt my feelings or made me mad or feel insulted by them. I want to, but I don't. It's a flight instrument of mine. Now, am I perfect? No, I'm looking for an A minus, B plus. I get students coming to me and they go, Dave, I four pointed my last quarter. I'm always like, stop doing that. That's too stressful. Know your flight instruments. You get to decide. Your parents had some. You may decide, I don't want to do that. My parents behaved in a certain way. I want to have these certain things that under stress, I do them. That's how I live. Have you identified those flight instruments for yourself that you follow? Does that make sense? I spend 15 minutes in quiet time every day. Maybe that's one of your things. Oh, but now you've got that certain exam. I know, but I still do. We have ours is we start Sabbath at 3.30 every Sunday. Our cell phones go away. We don't work. I don't care if I'm in the middle of a project. I can get locked on and feel like, oh, I just want to work a little bit more. Nope. Why? Because I know that if I don't have Sabbath, I'm terrible on Monday. What are your flight instruments? Two, stay as unleveraged as you can. When Jesus says, I want you to go out and I just want you to don't carry lots of stuff. A lot of you people are going to get into so much debt that you really don't have the choice of going where you really 
feel like your gifts would be used well. Some of you are in relationships that are abusive right now and you feel like if you leave them, somehow you're failing or somehow you'll never survive if you're by yourself. Emotional leverage. I get women in my office and they don't work. And so they feel like they have to stay with a husband that's abusive to them because if they do, they lose social status, all their friends. They lose their income. They don't know where to go. They're very leveraged. And so one of the first things we do, and I get this from a really wonderful woman therapist named Harriet Lerner, and she talks about one of the first tasks is to help this woman become unleveraged. How do we get her into a place where she can make choices that feel life-giving? That's the, the second one. The third one, is pick your team carefully. My wife, Carol, is fantastic, but it took me 42 years to find her. Can you believe that? Actually, 41, because we knew each other a year before that. She's smart. She's more patient than I am. She's got a flight instrument panel that is as clear as anyone I've ever met. I would not settle to marry someone that did not have that, and it took me a long time to find it. I want my team around me to be very, very mature. I do not have patience for people who are my age and still acting like they're 21. Sorry. <laughs> you get my point. Pick your team extremely carefully. A team systems theory says has the ability to warp us back into something. When I was in the fraternity, we called it the 30-day disease. Someone would go on a mission trip and come back and say, I want to live my life differently. We go, great, see you in about a month. Because we knew that the longer you stayed with us, we would have you back to your old self just a matter of time. Pick your team carefully in the last one. And then I'll close because I went a little bit long, I think is I would challenge you to start learning how to accept the grace that's already been offered to you through Jesus. Some of you are awfully bad at that. You won't take it. You haven't earned it yet. You still feel the need to beat yourself up at least once a day, saying things that if you ever heard an adult saying them to a child in a grocery store, you might call CPS, right? Some of you, it's time where Jesus says, please don't spend too much of your time here on earth disagreeing with me about you. The last one when you're navigating, don't get all tight and wound up. Remember that God likes you more than probably you do and is probably nicer than you. God says, it's okay, let's try again. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. I know that hurt. And I'm sorry for the things that happened to you. I saw that. But you're not done. Your story's not finished. Let's keep going. And now you're wiser and you're stronger. And I'm interested in what you're going to do next. And I promise to partner with you in whatever it is. Great. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these people, and I do pray for them. I know that life right now can feel like there's so many things to navigate. I pray that they will begin to be able to start their 
formation of their own flight panel where they can start to do things under stress, even if they feel everything in them pulling them to do something different. I pray for decisions for them where they can stay as unleveraged as necessary, knowing that at times that's not going to be possible. I pray for their team, that if they're in a team right now that's a bad team that leaves them feeling pulled down, that they'll begin to do the prayerful process of preparing to formulate a new team of people that lift them and support them and encourage them and champion them on in the journey that they feel that they are to go on. And then finally, that they will look and see the kind face of you looking at them and saying, I know that this is the first time you've ever been this old. I'm not expecting you to be an expert at it. Now let's get going. I pray for those people that this is their time to get going again. Now God's people said, amen, you guys. Thanks so much.